This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VinSmart. Learn more about how we can help you with fleet recall management and maintenance updates, as well as capture vehicle history and VIN data. Give VinSmart a call at 1-888-950-9550 or visit us on the web at vinsmart.com slash businesses. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the AnvaCast. This week, we are going to have a conversation about electronic titling, commonly referred to as e-titling. And to help us to explore the topic, I am pleased to welcome Clint Thompson, the Deputy Director from the Texas Department of Motor Vehicles Vehicle Titles and Registration Division who is also the chair of our e-titling working group, along with Casey Garber, the AMVA manager of vehicle programs, who is our lead staff project manager for this working group. Clint, Casey, welcome to this episode of the AMVACast. Thank you. Morning. How are you doing? Good, good. Good morning, Ian. Thank you. Yeah, Casey, welcome back. I believe this is your second appearance on, on the AMVACast. It is. And Clint, your, your first time with us. We're pleased to have you. Thank you. Uh, Clint, I'm going to start with you as the chair of our working group. The community has thrown around this phrase, e-titling, for more than a decade now. So I think we should really start with defining what does that phrase even mean when we say we want to develop e-titling? Well, funny that you start there because that's certainly one of the discussions that the working group has been having is what's that definition? How do we clearly articulate that to folks, both jurisdictions and in the industry? One of the biggest things, regardless of the words that you use, that we've looked at is the issuance of electronic titles by a jurisdiction and the ability to transfer those electronic titles. Getting the paper out of the process, removing the need for a paper title, having to convert to a paper title just to conduct business, that, that's really the gist of what we're looking at. And then obviously there's much more detail uh, involved in that. Absolutely. There's a lot of detail. And I think it's probably one of the more complicated business processes that the community has tried to convert from paper to electronic. Uh, and when we're talking about electronic, are we really talking about that entire lifespan that a vehicle has where a title follows it, I assume starting with perhaps the MCO. Are we talking about there never has to be any piece of paper in that process from birth to death of the vehicle? Casey, do you want to, you know, try to try to explain that to us? Sure. So I think that's the end goal. And, you know, it's going to take some time to get there. But ideally, in a perfect world, that is where we would like to go from the time it comes from a manufacturer with an MCO until the point that the vehicle is crushed, it would not require paperwork. We would like that to all be electronic. It would be digital. To be able to transfer the ownership, that would be something you would do electronically, which is different than having something that's on a piece of paper, signing that and scanning it. And that's a, that's a big difference to where our end goal is really to take all of the paper out of the process and be able to transfer ownership from one person to another fully digitally, electronically, without having to have paper involved. So what does that mean for a vehicle owner or someone who is borrowing money from a a bank and the bank owns the vehicle, but it's my vehicle that, that I'm registering? 
is this something where now instead of the piece of paper from the DMV, they're sending me a PDF, they're sending me a, something in email, or is it when we talk about a, a digital title, is it something different than just an electronic version of the paper? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, and it leans into where the working group started. So we started out with developing a framework that goes over more of what and why do we need an e-titling solution. And then when it comes to how that process is actually going to work, that's going to be sort of the next step. And we don't want to be too prescriptive. You know, Texas has a program that they've had in their jurisdiction. Arizona has a program within Arizona. And they took two really different approaches, but both of those approaches seem to be working and very successful. So we don't want to be too prescriptive in how you have to do that, but we do want to develop some best practices on what are our recommendations? What are those baseline data elements that everyone will need to be able to transfer ownership across state lines? And eventually we're going to be able to have an interstate solution. But what that looks like in terms of do you log into a Texas system to be able to access your record and then send it to the purchaser for them then to electronically sign it, do their disclosures. We really haven't got into all of the how we're going to do that yet, but a lot of that I think may be left up to the jurisdiction on exactly what that looks like. What we really want to focus on is trying to get everyone to be going down a similar path. So when the time comes that you want to have a vehicle move across state lines, that's not a barrier. You don't have to then print out a title to make that happen. So Casey mentioned that Texas is one of the jurisdictions that has a intrastate electronic titling platform. As a way to illustrate what e-titling is for those who may be less familiar with it, can you explain how the Texas model works? Sure. So to, to your point earlier about having a title be able to be electronic through the life cycle of the vehicle, I mean, that's certainly what we're looking at. So if you take an example of a brand new vehicle being sold, we have the ability for a licensed Texas dealer to submit that title application to the retail purchaser electronically. The output has the ability to be a, an electronic title. So our electronic lien title program is integrated with this. And once that electronic title is issued, I eventually pay my vehicle off. I trade it back in, whatever the case may be. The lien holder can send that electronic title once they release their lien. They can send that electronically to the licensed dealer who I trade the vehicle into. That dealer can turn around and take that electronic title and transfer that vehicle in the wholesale market. They'll make an electronic reassignment to another licensed dealer. The odometer reading and brand will be disclosed, and the purchasing dealer has the ability to access that record, view the odometer reading and brand, and acknowledge it and take receipt of that electronic title. And they can turn around and transfer that title electronically in the wholesale market as well. Or if either of those dealers who have purchased the vehicle end up making a retail sale, then they can use that electronic title as ownership evidence, just like they would a paper title, and be able to submit a new title application in the name of the new vehicle purchaser. That's the most basic. And, and in, in all those the descriptions, if you talked about the electronic title moving around, is it are they receiving some sort of electronic certificate or is it simply the state database tracking where the ownership is? They're not really getting 
the title like they would uh, in the paper environment. They are getting access to a record that facilitates them reviewing and making the necessary disclosures and acknowledgements. So it's not like they can take anything and change what's on the motor vehicle record. I mean, that, that resides with the department. We do have ownership of that. So they log into your database to interact with the title, essentially. Correct. And how long have you been doing it in Texas this way? Uh, let's see. We implemented that particular component in August of 2019. Early lessons in the you know first couple of years of doing this? Oh, yes. So our electronic titling program, if you will, goes back starting with our electronic lien title program. And that's one of the distinctions that we've been trying to make is, you know, there's different facets of this, but having an ELT program doesn't mean that you have electronic titling system. We implemented that in October 2009. And then September of 2013, based on our then NHTSA petition, we implemented another facet of electronic titling where we had an electronic odometer disclosure occurring with the dealership and acknowledged by the purchaser. So that, that's another aspect of this that we have. But one of the bigger things is engage stakeholders early, engage them often. Don't assume that you understand how they interact with your department. Don't assume that you know what their business model is, things of that nature. That's one of the, the big things for us. Get that feedback on the front end. And then another one, implement what you can when you can. You know, some folks may have to start very small, but whether you start with a subset of transactions like we did, new vehicles, and we limited passenger cars and trucks, start with the end in mind. Where do you want to go? If you're eventually going to get to private party transfers, consider that on the front end. You know, you may not integrate with other databases, applications, whatever the case may be now, but consider that. And, and where might you go to try and integrate next steps? Because you can start small, but keep from boxing yourself in, if you will. So you mentioned a few things there that I want to pull out and try to dig a little deeper on. The first one was you mentioned just having an electronic lien and title system does not mean you're doing e-titling. I think there's some confusion or sometimes it's almost used as a synonym. And I think you know part of what I've heard you and others try to do is really start to define the difference between electronic lien and title and e-titling. Let, let's take a step back. What is electronic lien and title, and why is it not e-titling? Yeah, so ELT, or electronic lien and title programs, are really designed to provide an electronic means of updating lien information and perfecting liens from the lien holder on the title. I think the biggest difference is that an ELT program doesn't allow for you to transfer ownership. It doesn't have those odometer disclosures, that requirement that you must meet on an ELT program. And then in some cases, there's the electronic registration and title program, the ERT, where you might go into a dealership, they process your transaction, they send the information, you know, maybe by scanned documents or sending the paperwork to the motor vehicle agency, but they are doing the processing of the paperwork. They might even hand you your plates and your title. But the real difference, I think, is that those two programs, ELT and ERT, don't really allow you to electronically, with no paper involved, allow you to transfer ownership. And when we're talking about a true e-titling solution, we're talking about 
not having to have paper involved in order to be able to transfer that ownership from person A to person B. And it brings me back to a comment you made, Clint, about know where you want to finish, where that end goal is. So then is e-titling a integration of all those pieces for one kind of cohesive system? Or is it more these are parallel tracks? You need your ELT line of business, you need your ERT, and then you need this third rail, no pun intended, but a third rail of, uh, of e-titling. Or is it more that e-titling is kind of an evolution of these of these other items? How how do we relate those pieces to each other? Yeah, I, I definitely think they're they're related. I mean, I, I look at you know the the different facets that we have. Again, going back to starting in two thousand nine with electronic lien title program, we've expanded that and developed it, and now it's integrated into you know what some folks call the electronic registration and title program that we have. So we've got a web-based application that does a couple of things. It facilitates the electronic submission of title applications, whether you're using a scanned document or not. Uh, obviously, we've got the uh, electronic odometer disclosure and acknowledgement that occurs there as well. So that kind of dual path, if you will. But even at that, we've, we've come back and integrated our electronic lien and title program within that web-based application to facilitate the transfer of that electronic title if you will, into the inventory or into the queue for that dealership. And to me, it's, it's about integrating these things and, and also you know, looking at where, where we're going next with trying to expand electronic title issues to insurance companies and transferring those for, for salvage vehicles and things of that nature. Notification when vehicles are being dismantled. Why issue a title, a paper title, just to have it turn around and come back to you? And, and so those are some of the things that we're thinking about. And like I say, when you're thinking long term, where do you want to go? What touch points do you have that you know, you've got an output of a paper title today that really is not necessary because you've got a separate process where it just comes right back to you uh, when the vehicle's rebuilt or the vehicle's going to be scrapped or, or things of that nature. Through a couple of your comments, both of you, you've mentioned this idea of stakeholders. And even in your last answer, Clint, you gave a couple of examples. It seems to me that in the world of, of vehicle titles, particularly the DMV has to interact with more diverse bodies that touch a title whether it's starting from the manufacturer and the MCO to insurance companies, to dealers, to junk and savage yards, and there's probably more that I'm not even thinking about. How does that diverse set of stakeholders change how to develop an e-titling solution uh, as compared to something where there's a lot of other business innovations that our members are working on where the DMV or our core member agencies have more autonomous control of the business process? seems to me that in titling, we have to manage a more diverse group of stakeholders than others. Is that, am I onto something there or am I making something up that doesn't exist? K Casey, have you looked at that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of different interested parties when it comes to an e-titling solution. All of those parties that you mentioned are people who are going to be interested, as well as the rental company industry, you know, they're going to be interested as well because they may be selling a fleet of vehicles that are located in physically in one jurisdiction, but maybe they hold all of their titles in a different jurisdiction because that's where their headquarters are. So this particular solution definitely touches a lot of different industry stakeholders. And really what we need to make sure that we're doing is considering every single person 
who is a part of that titling transaction before it ever even gets to the motor vehicle agency. And um, one of the things that Clint mentioned before was engage with them early and don't assume that you know what their processes are because oftentimes you think you know how their business operates, but then when you look at what they're doing on the back end, they may have many different steps in their process that you don't really know about. And as we go through and develop these best practices and guidance and recommendations, we want to make sure that we're not putting something in the document that would really prevent people from adopting it or moving forward with it. And then we have a really slow adoption rate and we don't see different jurisdictions moving forward with something that, you know, eventually it would be really nice if we had all of the jurisdictions with the opportunity to handle these electronically. So Clint, how does the working group, which is made up primarily of jurisdiction members, how do they gather that knowledge from that diverse set of stakeholders that you've both talked about? So obviously everybody has, you know, different backgrounds, different perspectives that, that we can leverage, you know, just from a discussion standpoint. But one of the main things that we've done is engage those stakeholders, send out surveys, solicit that feedback. And we've got a subgroup that's working on that exactly, stakeholder perspective. And, and that's been one of the biggest things is making sure that we're identifying all of the impacted stakeholders. We've reached out to them through a survey. We're trying to figure out how best to connect with them. Is this better engagement for the entire stakeholder group that we're going to be working with and, and getting input from? Or is it, you know, let's focus on just the lien holders or let's focus on just the insurance industry because they do have very unique perspectives in interacting with titles. You know, the lien holders, for example, they're not buyer or seller insurance company, well, they're, they're the purchaser at a certain point of time in the life of the vehicle, but they may not take possession of the vehicle. They may just take ownership through payment of a claim. So we've definitely got those unique business models based on the, the type of stakeholders. So that's been the biggest thing for us is A, identifying them on the front end, but then B, how do we engage them and get their input to make sure that we're accounting for them? So we, we mentioned that Texas has a program. Casey mentioned earlier, Arizona has a program. There's another handful of states out there that have what they consider to be intrastate e-titling programs. Uh, what's the conversation in the working group as you start to look at more states developing intrastate programs and figuring out what's going to be the difference between the innovation happening in individual jurisdictions, yet building it in a way that when the time is time has come, they can send those digital titles across jurisdiction lines. Clint, what's the working group's approach to managing, supporting jurisdiction innovation to develop programs, yet doing it in a way where you're going to be able to share that information with each other? That's part of the ongoing conversation. We have not got to the point yet of, you know, we've got the silver bullet. We know exactly what this looks like for different jurisdictions having their own internal programs, and we know what the interconnectivity looks like and how to facilitate that at the national level. We're constantly talking about that. But one of the main things is, to Casey's point earlier, we're not trying to be so prescriptive that we prevent folks from even being able to get in the door and, and do this. But also, we're trying not to be so prescriptive that we're limiting folks. The main thing that we talked about is this being jurisdiction-led, jurisdiction-driven. Everybody's got their own unique statutes. Everybody's got their own constraints with technology, resources, things of that nature. So one of the biggest things is as folks do implement these, we're trying to look at this from the same perspective of paper titles. 
It was a discussion we recently had. What do we get when those folks come from Arizona with the paper title today? We get a signature on it and we transfer that and we rely on that document because we're looking at Embedus and we're trusting that that individual who's executed that title is the seller. And so it's that reliance on those documents and the credibility of those documents issued by the jurisdictions and understanding that those transactions have taken place in accordance with their laws and honoring those and accepting those in the electronic world is, is really what we're trying to transition to. Clint, since you brought it up, you mentioned the acronym. I think we have to go back and talk about it because there's a lot of people probably listening going, can't Invitus just do this? You already have this title information in this national platform that almost everybody is using every day. Isn't it as simple as people using Nimvitis to track who that vehicle is owned by since you have that title information? What do you think, Clint? Is it is it that easy? I mean, obviously it's not, otherwise we wouldn't be talking about it, but you know, let's explain to folks why it's not quite that simple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we'd have done this years ago, right? Um, that That's certainly been part of the discussion. Obviously, if you've got something where, where everybody has access to and, and reporting to and, and has the ability to inquire against, that's the ideal scenario. Why recreate the wheel? Use what you have, leverage that, but it, it's not just uh, looking in Vitus and, okay, we're good to go. I mean, there's other considerations to be made. Uh, one of the biggest things, though, is we've got to make sure we're identifying this is, in fact, an electronic title in this other jurisdiction. I mean, we've got to have things of that nature. Are we going to require some type of uh, indicator in Invitus or some other repository to, to guarantee that this identity has been validated and verified in accordance with the NIST standards and federal regulations? or accordance with state law, whatever the case may be. So there's certainly other considerations that need to be made. And then obviously, if Invitus is the ultimate answer, you know, what's the programming look like there? What's that look like as far as AMBA being able to make those changes? And then for each jurisdiction, what programming changes are needed there? There's a lot of considerations, uh, even with something that seems like a simple approach. You mentioned uh, identity verification. So I'm assuming that identity verification comes into play because currently when I have a paper title, if I'm changing ownership, I'm likely doing it with you in person. I'm signing over the title, I'm giving it to you, and you now own the vehicle, or I'm bringing it back into the agency. It's more of an in-person interaction. Is it safe to say that the digital title allows us to transfer ownership and even do a casual sale without being in person? And therefore, we now have to make sure that that person I'm interacting with electronically is who they say they are. Uh, and really brings in a whole identity verification conversation into a vehicle conversation. And certainly in the AMVA world, we've always had these, you know, sort of silos of you've got your folks that work on the vehicle side of the house, and then the driver license folks handles identity. And now we're merging that vehicle and identity conversation. Casey, how have members been tackling that idea that I'm a vehicle program manager responsible for a title, and now I have to start to understand identity verification, which has traditionally been the driver license in folks. Right. So that's a very important component. Um, you know, we're taking a look at what does it take to verify that someone is who they say they are and what has already been developed that we can leverage. One of the things that Clint mentioned is why reinvent the wheel if there's something there that we can already use. So it might be um, an opportunity where we can leverage MDL and some of those other things, but we will need to be able to verify that someone is who they say they are 
using some kind of identity document, whether that be a driver license, a passport, a non-driver license, um, but you're going to need to verify that with the issuing agency, most likely. And so in a lot of cases, the motor vehicle systems haven't always been integrated with the driver license system and definitely not across state lines. And so that is part of our conversation. You know, just within the last couple of weeks, we've asked the question, what do you collect when someone comes in with a title? in terms of the data elements for identity. Are you capturing their driver license number or their ID document number or a passport number? Is that something that you're collecting as a data element and keeping within your motor vehicle system? Are you verifying that information with the issuing agency? So we are having those conversations. I think we're still learning a lot because a lot of us don't have that driver license background, but we do have some ID management experts on the working group, which has been really helpful to kind of lean on them and get some information and kind of transfer that knowledge. We definitely want to leverage what's already out there and what already exists instead of creating a whole new identity program just for an e-titling solution. We've talked a lot about transferring titles across state lines, and we've used that phrase states. We've also talked about jurisdictions. I'm curious, is this really a U.S.-specific journey where we're looking at titling and titles across state lines, or is there also potential between U.S. and Canada where we can transfer that information or when you're talking about importing vehicles across country lines, it's a whole other category and therefore it really makes e-titling a, a U.S. specific conversation. I think that the approach that every jurisdiction is going to take might be slightly different, but I think it's going to be iterative in every case. So we've talked before about maybe you start out with an ELT solution, maybe then you build on that with ERT and then eventually it becomes an e-titling solution. Similarly, we've talked about, you know, in Texas, they started out with certain transactions that involved the dealers. Arizona happened to start out with casual sales. And so I think that's really going to be up to the jurisdictions on which transactions they want to begin with. I don't foresee, I, I could be wrong, but I don't foresee that a jurisdiction is going to implement every kind of transaction related to titles all at one time. Sure. I don't think it's out of the question to say we won't ever be able to do that, you know, with Canadian jurisdictions. But I think it would be further down the road. They don't have titles. They use registration as their ownership document. And so that, I think, further complicates it, not to mention we actually just did a guidance document on imported vehicles. And there's a lot of different elements that you need to look at or at least that we recommend that you look at when you're going to make a title and registration decision for a vehicle that's being imported. And a lot of that information is on NHTSA documents and CBP documents. So Customs and Border Protection for CBP. And so those are more 
complex transactions where I think you need more information that, again, is that information available electronically? Do those data elements reside somewhere where you could integrate with them, verify it, so that you know you have all of the appropriate information to even transfer the ownership of that vehicle? So a vehicle title as a standalone file, be it paper or digital or otherwise, sounds to be a pretty U.S.-specific thing. Canada doesn't have separate titles. Uh, We've heard from our colleagues in Europe. They don't do a lot of vehicle titling. Um, In many cases, they don't care who owns the vehicle. They just want to know who's the registered operator of it. It seems to be a pretty U.S. culture creation of of a vehicle title. Has the working group done any of that research into the history of the title of why does it exist? Why are we perhaps the only ones who have these things? We have not really done a lot of research um, on that. We know U.S. jurisdictions are using them as the ownership documents. One of the things where we've said we do need to collect more information is around what are all of the different title types that the U.S. jurisdictions are using, because even that varies quite a bit. Clint can probably tell you, um, even in Texas, they have quite a few different just title types within one jurisdiction. Well, I'm, I'm sure that's true. As, as we're as we're reaching the end of our of our time, Clint, is there anything else the working group has really prioritized in their early discussions that we haven't had the opportunity to touch on yet in this conversation today? Uh, well, we've we've obviously touched on stakeholders, but that is a recurring theme to make sure that we are considering stakeholder input. Right now, though, it's really nailing down the framework document and making sure that we've got it where it needs to be. We're inclusive of the elements that folks need to consider and need to make sure that they're addressing with these programs. That's really the next step for us is just to lock down that framework document and make sure that we do have a comprehensive document before we can start moving forward with actually drafting the, the guidance document. So, Casey, where can people find the framework document and where can all those stakeholders send their send their input to? So we've already asked stakeholders at this point to submit their feedback to us on the framework that we had presented at the workshop, which was one of our first public drafts of that document. Right now, we're integrating most of the feedback that we received from them. The majority of that feedback was on the how, which is really going to be the next step. And so I think the working group actually was very successful in identifying the framework or maybe the blueprint of all the different components that we needed to include. But that was definitely something that we're working on just to make sure that we have that. But if one of my 1.3 million listeners hadn't previously known about the framework, can they still find it and, and get in touch with you? So they can email me and I'd be happy to give them a copy of that. We're cleaning it up right now. And then I think we'll post it on the e-title working group portion of our website so that people can refer back to it and see what it is. Right now, we're making sure that we did capture any of the why and what in there. We're leaving all of the how elements for the next portion of the conversation. But we do plan on putting that on the e-title portion of the ANVA website so that people will be able to refer back to that. Well, thank you both for spending some time with me today and helping our listeners understand what really is 
electronic titling and what the future might look like and how the working group is doing. I'll look forward to having you back after you complete that next phase as you really dive into the house. It sounds like that's where a lot of the people want to have the conversation. How are we going to do this thing? So we will have you back to update us and talk about the progress of, of the working group. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Great. Thank you, Ian. Excellent. And thank you all for listening to this episode of the Anvacast. We'll see you right back here next week. I want to thank our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. And until then, stay well, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Anvacast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by VidSmart. Visit us at anvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.